podcast ain't played nobody my name is Stephen godfrey you can reach me at 38 godfrey on instagram and twitter i am part of the banner society at banner society on both of those social media devices richard johnson back from vacation what are you doing buddy it's 2020 baby it's 2020 i am uh gonna pretend like i'm actually gonna do the workout thing with our uh, with our old buddy charles mcdonald um so i've been in the gym i can't lift my arms but nice i'm gonna get back in shape god damn it no you're not <laughs> uh i'm having a kid in february so there was not even the inkling of a new year's resolution because why would you set yourself up for that failure um today richard we're gonna do a little bit of a coach season uh kind of a kind of a coda we sort of knew this was coming it's not a surprise to us it shouldn't be a surprise to y'all we asked you for some questions we're gonna do a brief little walk through what's going on on the tail end of the coaching cycle before um, we do a quick and hasty sort of like thoughts and ideas for the national championship game. There is finally just one college football game left this season. There was a yet again, strange amount of like meaningless bowls after the playoff. And I'm not talking that, that actually was not a dig at like the Rose and the sugar and all those. But no, just, there was a bowl game on Monday night. I know. Dog. I was like, what? I forget these things. I mean, I'm be honest. This is the industry I work in, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, right, okay." Um, so let's jump straight into coach season. Um, Richard, we have talked all season about the not so much the NFL's interest in college coaches anymore, but really the um, elimination of the line of what makes a college coach and what makes an NFL coach. There are specifics to uh, to each industry. Obviously, a lot of people don't want to recruit flat out. A lot of people want to make their entire careers off recruiting. I think that may be the single biggest defining factor between pro and college at a certain level of aspiration, at least. But we knew that the wall was coming down, if not gone already. Um, Matt Rule is gone. We sort of knew he would be the shock there. Eh, I wouldn't call it a shock. Um, Matt Rule is not going to the New York Giants. He's not That's going to New York. Shock. He is- That's the shock. Yeah. The guy who He's grew up on to- Roosevelt Island, which is right off Manhattan, for those that don't know, is not going to New York or New Jersey or wherever the hell they play. That's how bad Dave Gettleman is. Um, he is going to the Carolina Panthers. The wild thing about it, though, is he he and Dave Gettleman would get along. See, this is the thing about Matt Rule. So so Matt Rule is a wants to be a smash mouth type of guy. He he doesn't like RPOs. He's on record saying he doesn't like running RPOs. He runs them because they work and they maximize um they maximize his resources, which is a team that is not as talented as Texas, Oklahoma, etc. Um him and Gettleman would get along because they both love that kind of smash mouth the way it once was football. Whose roster is more butt right now? It has to be New York, right? Yeah, it's They've got some pieces, it's but, but they got they got a lot of work to do. Um, I would just say in broad strokes, you've got a quarterback situation that you need to rectify in Carolina, figure out if Cam's the future or not. And then in New York, I think they still want to build the thing around Jones and, and Saquon, right? Yeah, I mean, but Carolina's got a really good defensive line. Um, probably still the best linebacker in the league. And New York has... With Saquon, Saquon is a home run hitter, and and I'm not going to act like Saquon is not elite, but Saquon is not a th- really a three yards and a cloud of dust kind of guy. And if you want to run that or something near that, Carolina kind of makes more sense. They're a little smashier. A little yes. smashier. Yes. Um, 
Well, Saquon was also not a smashy guy when he was at Penn State. He was uh, the dreaded term finesse back. Right. He was pretty, one. He's he, a pretty damn fun finesse back to watch. Right. He was, he was one State. yards, two yards, 68 yards. And that, is, that has its place. Awesome. Yeah, it was fun to watch. Hey, speaking of Saquon, his offensive coordinator when he was in college, Joe Moorhead, we knew Matt Rule was going to get fired. Uh, or fired. Sorry, just slipped there. Uh, we knew Matt Rule was gonna was gonna fire himself out of college. I'll put it that way. Nice save, Stephen. Quickly, real quick, allow me to uh, to digress the podcast as usual. One second. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You return from whence you came, Stephen Godfrey. We return okay. to Mississippi. Uh. Indeed, Mississippi did teach you everything, including how to cover shit shows disguised as football teams. Joe Moorhead, no longer head coach at Mississippi State. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, the whys, the, the should-haves, and all that nonsense. Uh, this is the wrinkle that we didn't quite expect, which is that now you have an, an open SEC job, and the search has gone weird. Um, good, bad. A lot of people have very specific opinions about that. Um, obviously, yes, I am an old Miss graduate. Therefore, I am engaged in the constant, unyielding conspiracy to further all things Ole Miss against my own better interests, against my career. Yeah. So, okay. And against even reason and logic. So, which one are we on now? So, it, previously, yeah. it was you were trying to take Ole Miss down, but Correct. now Ole Miss is fine. So, you're now trying to take Mississippi State down. Yeah. Pretty okay. Much. Gotta just want to get my ducks in a row. I mean. I don't know. It really depends on who yells what at my parents at church. That's that's basically how I view my standing in the Mississippi conspiracy uh, lexicon. I don't know if I'm pro Ole Miss or pro Mississippi State or anti what. Um, I retain my talking point for this podcast as well as social media and everything else. That state, when it comes to college football, crabs in a bucket. If you don't know what I mean, just look at crabs when they're in a bucket. They will pull each other down, murder each other, and do everything they can to prevent one another from leaving said bucket. Um, I can tell you this, Richard, here's some facts. I'm going to do a little I believe, I feel, I know, all that jazz. I know Joe Moorhead was on the block before the Egg Bowl. Mississippi State had engaged in some early communication with some specific candidates. One of those was Gene Chizik. That happened before the Egg Bowl. Um, anyone who tells you different, they are lying. The and I can tell community. you, and I can tell you that I know Gene Chizik wants back in the game. Yes, Gene Chizik would definitely like to, which, they, you know, let's pause for a second and get in this ditch. I really hate that he's doing that because he has such a great third act going. Yeah, I like him man, as an analyst. Ball coaches want to coach ball, baby. I know, but he also did all the stories for ESPN.com or whatever about like, hey, I'm reconnecting with my family. My kids are becoming adults and like I can be I can have a presence in their life in a way in which like I just I hate this because it is more and more disingenuous bullshit uh, eventually. It's no different than the the ink, you know, the, the the pink ink letters to Urban Meyer from his daughter in the contract and all this horse shit. I think so, it's funny that when these things happen, there is I think it was Saban who said it, um, who said like a lot of times we're like, oh, ball coaches want to coach ball, and we kind of don't regard the other side of the family, which is like, hey, when these guys are around for like more than ten days, they're absolutely miserable, and their spouses and kids want them out of the house too. Um, yeah. I mean, I get that there's sort of one setting for a coach and that you need to carry that out functionally. Um, Chizik's young enough I, by standard. I, I, he'd be fine at the right job. I just think that, you know, we've done this thing now where we don't do G5 retirement jobs anymore. People are trying to avoid that at all costs. There are occasional exceptions like 
Jeff Tedford acquitted himself very well at Fresno State before stepping down. But by and large, like, you know, Gene Chizik going to like a UCF, which isn't that his alma mater? I think it is. Um, that like, oh, no, he played at Florida. I'm sorry. He has some connection to UCF. Um, Gene Chizik went to Gene Chizik, a Gator. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so they talked to Gene, Mississippi State talked to Gene Chizik beforehand and, um, the Elijah Moore incident, the, the dog pee thing, which was an homage to, oh man, DK, I forgot DK. Yeah. DK, right. Yeah. DK did it the first time. DK, DK of your Seattle Seahawks. Um, so the whole dog pee incident moves the PAT back. Ole Miss, uh, can't tie the egg bowl. They lose by a point. That keeps that swings momentum in the other direction. You hear Joe Moorhead saying, "Hey, they're gonna have to drag my Yankee ass out of here, et cetera, et cetera." They et cetera. sure Recruiting. did. They sure Recruiting. did. <laughs> Recruiting goes reasonably well, um, and then another strange thing happens, which is really we we I talked a little bit about this uh, last week with Ryan Nanny. No one's had a season quite like Willie Gay. In that we can't officially say that Willie Gay was part of the tutoring scandal by the way that Mississippi State manipulated the NCAA messaging. Um, like like a dutiful drone of the NCAA, Mississippi State and their PR arm, um, they selectively withheld players week to week in accordance to the agreement that they came to with the NCAA because of the tutoring scandal. What we know is that Willie Gay is the best player on the entire team for Mississippi State this year, and he missed a series of games in accordance with, logically, the tutoring scandal. On top of that, Richard, after the Egg Bowl, you think things are calm in Starkville. You think, hey, Mississippi State's making some decent inroads in recruiting. Ole Miss makes a hire in Lane Kiffin, but they don't have anything going functionally yet. Things are fine. We get those bowl practices, Richard. We know how much coaches love bowl practices. And then what happens? And then uh, who was it that absolutely cracked the quarterback in a practice? That would be Willie Gay. That would be Willie, Willie Gay. Gay. I wasn't sure if it was him. Willie Gay punches uh, Garrett Schrader, the starting quarterback from Mississippi State, in the face during practice in a fight so bad he breaks his orbital bone. I was going to say, I hope bolt. he's okay because that picture, I think he Instagrammed or something, my man took one. My man took one for real. He, he got smushed. There are a lot of soft parts of the face, and when you hit them flat uh, with a lot of velocity, that's what happens. Sounds like a man who's broken up a few bar fights in Mississippi. Yeah, I've also been hit in the face before. Um, So now we're back on the hot seat proverbially, except still it's just an incident. And at this point, everyone is willing to do the normal college football thing, which is throw the kid under the bus. In Willie Gay's case, Willie Gay. Um, in fact, you, you saw a lot of media in Mississippi saying, hey, man, Willie Gay is just a tough dude. You should avoid that, right? Everybody's sort of protecting the crown in Starkville. I will say and this. I, I think college football has uh, college football media has kind of come around to the team scuffles, whether it's pregame or during camp or kind of – like I think we're talking about the, the fricasses a little, in a little bit more of an enlightened way. And I think the Willie Gay thing was part of that because 10 years ago we're talking about Willie Gay as some thug who needs to get thrown off the team. But, you know, brothers fight. Um, The problem is that Mississippi State loses to a brand new rebuilding project at Louisville. I mean, that was a game that they were expected to win. There were a lot of Bulldogs that came up to Nashville for the Music City Bowl. They lost that game, and all of a sudden the problems were... I'll put it this way. The temperature that was on Moorhead before the Egg Bowl, it returned to exactly that degree, which I was a little shocked by. I was a little shocked because Mississippi State clearly doesn't understand the cycle. And a lot of people are going to ask. We have a couple Ask PAPN questions we'll get into in a second about this. But before we do the Moorhead part of this, Richard, we need to explain exactly why it's really bad to fire your coach this late. Okay? 
Um, the worst part about this is that now this may be circumstantial. So the situation we're talking about may be specific to Mississippi State in 2020 as they fired Joe Moorhead this specific time. But one of the targets that they had was Joe Judge, okay, an assistant coach with the Patriots. Joe Judge is a Philadelphian uh, by birth and by by uh, high school, but he did play in college at Mississippi State. So a lot of people had pegged him for that job. Joe Judge, simultaneous to receiving an offer and interest in communication with Mississippi State, is being courted by the New York Giants. All right? This is January. This isn't early December. There is a chance, Richard, unless you tell me I'm wrong, and the industry might say this as well, that Joe Judge takes a bird in the hand if it's December, and they make a fire of, regardless of what happens in the Egg Bowl, they make a they make a firing, and now they have a job opening in early December. It's very, very possible that Joe Judge leaves the staff before New England even goes to the playoffs. This is not unheard of, and becomes the next head coach at Mississippi State, if that's who they wanted most. Uh, I don't know. I I think that the... I think the chronology, I think your chronology is a little too neat because I think if Matt Rule, if if Dave Tepper lets Matt Rule leave Charlotte yesterday and fly to New York, I think Matt Rule may have ended up being the head coach of the New York Giants. And we do know that Joe Judge basically had his pick of New York or Mississippi State. Yes. But... New York wants you to think that he had that after the fact. I'm not so sure about that. I think New York would have courted Matt Rule and explored Matt Rule had Matt Rule been allowed to leave Charlotte without a contract signed with the Panthers. Um, so the right, chronology right, there is no. What I'm high. saying, what I'm saying here is that if Mississippi State had targeted aggressively Joe Judge with an actual opening a month ago. I think they could have changed the situation because Judge was not the front runner name at New York for a long time, right? They it was the Matt Rule show. This is why you make the change when you do. This is why you hire the firms when you do. Um, it's all very, very peculiar. The second name that they courted and have not succeeded with is Billy Napier, the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette, who actually played in that arbitrary bowl on Monday night. Um the reason why Billy Napier is intriguing to not just Mississippi State, but I think a lot of places. In fact, I had people ask me about uh, Arkansas and Ole Miss's openings. They said, who would you hire? And I said, Billy Napier. The reason why is Billy Napier has a collection of attributes that a lot of the other candidates don't. At least, let me clarify, the candidates that are on the up, not the refurbished models, which is usually what ends up in Mississippi, Lane Kiffin. Billy Napier is on his way up. He has OC experience at multiple schools. He was a Nick Saban assistant. He's from the South. He knows how to recruit for Nick Saban in the Nick Saban system, in the SEC. And on top of that, he's now got enough experience as a head coach at an extremely good, a good-ass G5 program in Louisiana Lafayette or Louisiana, whatever the hell we're supposed to call him. Okay? Um, Napier, I thought, would have been a great fit at Arkansas, a great fit at Ole Miss. I think uh, I, I the, the one thing that I hear, this is one of those um, – I, I feel statements, Richard, is that Billy Napier is uh, kind of interested in or is or or has overtures with a South Carolina, which is a job that a lot of people think would open at the end of next season. Now, do I think because of that, that he is withholding interest or or abstain to talk further with Mississippi State because he thinks well, he might get a South Carolina job that's not open? No. 
Right now, as we record this, it's mid-morning on Wednesday. I think Billy Napier is waiting for another situation that hurts Mississippi State, Richard, which is that Matt Rule was probably going to leave. We didn't know it was going to be the Panthers. We thought it was going to be the NFL. You know there's a frequency of NFL openings reliably every single year, and therefore you knew Baylor was going to open. So someone like Billy Napier now is expressing interest in Baylor. Baylor, I don't want to get into this, whether or not it's a better job than Mississippi State. It's a different job, and it has a different situation. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay. Baylor has a lot of money. They have a lot of momentum. Neither one of us really feel like they're going to be absolutely as good as they were this year consistently throughout. But there is some breathing room in the Big 12 that there isn't at Mississippi State. This takes me back to Joe Moorhead for a second. Richard, there are so many NFL teams right now that are going to line up and beg Joe Moorhead to come run their offense. Simultaneously, I am being told by Mississippi State people who think I'm, of course, part of uh, you know the conspiracy that we pushed Joe Moorhead claiming he was an offensive genius and he's actually an idiot. Because it's December, because it's not December, Richard, Joe Moorhead is not going to probably be a college head coach again in 2020 because the openings aren't there, right? However, he will be a college head coach again. He will be a college head coach at the P5 level again, and he will be successful of this, I am convinced. Joe, in I'm, the mean, look, Joe, just sit down. Let me rap to you one-on-one. I'm going to tell you something. I know it's been a tough year in Shane, two years in Mississippi. I know State College was cold, fairly barren. I'm going to tell you, there's an NFL job in northern Florida, my guy, who may need a little bit of an infusion of a quarterback's coach and some new offense. Gardner Minshew, he's a Mississippi man. Come on, baby. Come on. Let's go ahead and jump into this particular Ask PAPN. Son of Saturday asks, where is Joe Moorhead ending up? Is it Notre Dame or Indiana? Please say it's Notre Dame or Indiana. Hashtag Ask PAPN. Is it, it so could be is one it, of the, isn't Tommy Reese, Tom, Tom Reese, is it Tom Reese? Tom Reese like running the show there on offense now in Notre Dame? It would seem. Okay. It would seem. Um, I think he goes to the NFL. I think he goes to the NFL, one, just to take a step away for the year, two, because he can, three, because it would be a great resume point for him, and four, because I think he'll be successful wherever he goes if he gets the right QB. He did not have the right QB at Mississippi State. Richard, do you know how many games he won at Mississippi State? Not off the top of my head. I'm just saying, man. Gardner, Minshew. Joe Moorhead went to two bowls in the two seasons that he was in Starkville. I'm going to go idea, I'm going to go 15. The idea he was the idea that he was a failure in any respect. I, I have a I have a tough time grappling with. Now Ryan Nanny pointed out something to me at the office the other day. Where's the signature win? Mississippi State fans are actually proud of this bizarre premature firing because they say, look, we don't just care about Ole Miss because because he beat Ole Miss twice, okay? He beat Ole Miss both years that he was at Mississippi State. He won 14 games. He went to two bowls. He went 8-5 and five in his first season and lost the... Maybe it's the losing of the bowls. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I know this. He didn't have the right quarterback. The biggest error that he committed was that his system was far, far from what Dan Mullen was doing. And at the time that Dan Mullen left Starkville, his best quarterback suffered a debilitating leg injury in the last regular season game against Ole Miss. That's the that's the first dog pee game in Starkville. And then this kid is a triple option quarterback out of high school who was only recruited by one other FBS school. He, Whether or not he was Trace McSorley is beyond the point. This kid 
probably was never going to fit into any kind of Joe Moorhead offense. And I know you're supposed to scheme to your personnel and not scheme to your scheme. We talked about this on the show. The bottom line is he never had a quarterback that was close enough to what he could do with. And and the the damning statement of that, Richard, was he brought in Tommy Stevens in the offseason, which was one of kind of one of his guys at Penn State under under McSorley. And it didn't work out because of injury. Schrader eventually beat him out. So it was like problem, 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 problem at the quarterback position. I'm still stunned by the fact this guy won 14 games and start going got fired. All right, guess 15 is 14. Yeah, 14. I, I, I don't know. Um, you, look, you have a beat, I think, on the on the situation at Mississippi State better than I do. And I know this. It's funny this question's about Indiana, but we're talking about Mississippi again. Um, you have a beat on on Mississippi, kinda. You you explain Ole Miss. To me, in a way that I think made a lot of sense to me, kind of explained it like I'm five. Explain Mississippi State to me in the post Dan Mullen era, like I'm five. They're on fumes right now. That's the problem. It's the ephemera of what was. And the scariest part for Mississippi State is Dan Mullen was not a three or four year success. Dan Mullen was there for the better part of a decade. He was there for a long time, largely in part because Dan Mullen is a uh, he's an acquired taste. Um, Dan, of course, wanted to make it a three or four thing at Mississippi State, but he stuck around for a long time. The problem with that is Mississippi State now assumes that they should be a 10 to 11 win team or a nine win team. Now, I said this. I said, I tweeted out initially, Joe Moorhead's going to be a power five head coach again, but Mississippi State's going to expect someone to win nine games. And everyone said, Mississippi State fans don't expect you to win nine games. There's no way. In fact, a friend of mine, who wrote in and did ask PAPN, Tyler Nelson, why do SEC schools hire baseball coaches to run what is basically a $100 million <laughs> business? He's referring to John Cohen, the former baseball coach. It used, the to, be, it used to be football coaches. So, And then why is everyone shocked when these ADs are left, left looking foolish? All this said, Moorhead needed to go, and no sane state fan is expecting nine wins a season. Hashtag ask PAPN. I think they are, Tyler. I think that's the problem because when you look at his win totals, I think it's the absence of a signature win, which is a thing that plagued Butch Jones at, at Tennessee as well. Butch Jones had one losing season at Tennessee and had back-to-back nine-win seasons. They fired him. Joe Moorhead was in a similar situation because he didn't have that signature win. If if Mississippi State kind of folds their arms and says, well, and by the way, he beat two probation-addled Ole Miss teams. It doesn't matter in that state. If you win, if you win that game, decisions are made on that game. That's why he wasn't fired in December, which is now hurting Mississippi State. You know, Mississippi State wants to make a joke like, hey, just because of the of the dog pee thing we got Matt Luke fired, like look what Ole Miss does in reaction to losing to us. I would then counter and say, that's absolutely true. Ole Miss is as short-sighted and dumb as they come. The problem is you're just the same because you held on to a coach you didn't want for a month and then changed your mind and fired him, and now you're kind of screwed in the market. Um, if they don't expect nine wins, then why was there frustration after an 8-5 and five season and a 6-6 six and six season this year? This is my – I mean, you clearly expect more. That's the problem. Now, one thing I get. And this is going to transition into the other question about this. I believe I feel I know. I know that Jeff Munkin is no longer a candidate for Mississippi State. He did interview in Atlanta. Um, there was a series of interviews in Atlanta. Jeff Munkin was not, by the way, if you don't know, Jeff Munkin's the head coach of, of Army. Jeff Munkin was not going to bring part and parcel the triple option to Starkville, Mississippi, Richard. We're going to have to explain option concepts for a second in super, super basic terms. What I'm saying is this. I talked to some people around Munkin, talked to some people in the industry. 
What we haven't seen yet, Richard, which which I feel like is not the the greatest logical leap in the world, but people st- just remain piss scared of. This is the exact same situation as Ken Niamatololo and Arizona a couple years ago and what happened with Khalil Tate. Oh my God, Everyone yeah, I remember that. freaks out when you mention a triple option coach. Now, no one remembers that this is the team that took Oklahoma to overtime and Michigan to overtime. Um or I think they actually just lost to Michigan in the fourth. I can't remember. But bottom line was they were leading Michigan in the big house. They took Oklahoma to overtime in Norman. He knows how to run a program. He knows how to recruit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He was not going to make Mississippi State run the academy option. Richard, they run that because they have to, right? Yeah. I mean, if you zone block it and read the end man on the line of scrimmage out of the shotgun – it looks a whole heck of a lot like insert any other modern offense from RG3 all the way to, I don't know, whoever you want to pick now. The Jacob option Manley is writes, the option. Jacob Manley writes in, hashtag SPAP, and if Mississippi State were to hire one of the academy coaches, how much would the offenses need, how much was how much the offenses they run need to change, and what exactly would that entail? So I talked to someone in the industry who's worked with Munkin and, and worked with triple option people as well as worked elsewhere, and the the rough plan would be to go essentially what we might call gun option, but the 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 individual that I talked to likened it more to uh, elements of what Dan Mullen runs, elements of what Urban Meyer ran, elements of what Gus Malzahn ran. So now that's a big soup right there that I just described. So let me right here. I'll 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 distill it. So. There is part of that, the the zone read that you know and love. Um, the out of the shotgun, read the end man in line of scrimmage, running back goes one way, quarterback goes the other way, based on what that defensive end does. Um, when we talk, when we get into Gus Malzahn, Urban Meyer, Dan Mullen stuff specifically, a little bit of what we're talking about there is inverted veer. Veer is an old school option concept from way, 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 way back in the day. Um, actually, it's like late seventies, but it's not that old. Um, but inverted veer is a term coined by, coined by our friend Chris uh, Chris Brown, smart football. Inverted veer is basically where the quarterback becomes the dive man on the option so the quarterback uh it will either obviously uh give it to the running back or pull it and run up the middle of the line instead of like the outside if you're thinking about like a marcus Mariota kind of scooting off the edge um you can block it like power uh, you can do some some kind of cool things in front of that, um, in front of the read, but the inverted veer is kind of what Urban Meyer, um, TCU in the late 2000s was doing, uh, what Gus was doing with Cam, that's that sort of stuff. Um, you know, if you really want to get into it, Urban Meyer was doing some triple option stuff where uh, Aaron Hernandez was like the pitch man with Tebow at Florida. There's some of those elements as well. Um, you can do all of that out of the shotgun. Everybody here watched Tim Tebow win a national championship and and get a, a whisker away from another one doing that kind of stuff. So I would take the ideas that Richard just put out and I would ask you to think about Nick Fitzgerald for a second because one of the legitimate gripes that people had with Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State, and I think the reason why he got closer and closer to that hot seat, is that in 2018, Mississippi State had the best defense in in the country. It was number one in SP+. It was number two in scoring by – it was only number two in scoring defense by a tenth of a point behind the national champions – in Clemson. That's pretty ridiculous. So Mississippi State last season, not this season, last season, allowed 13.2 points a game. 
Okay, you're a full point away from the third team, which was Fresno State. Clemson had 13.1. It's pretty amazing. They also had two more games to change that average, although theoretically those are against better teams. They also were, uh, and, and I know it's arbitrary. I know it doesn't matter. I can feel the ghost of Bill Connolly coming after me. But even in total defense, they were number one. They only allowed 263 on average a game. How dare the problem, you invoke total defense? The problem is that they didn't have an offense to complement that, and they ended up losing more games than they thought they should. So I posit this to you, those of you who are so disgusted by the idea of someone like Munkin or Nia Matalolo or any, any of these triple option coaches taking over another P5 program. If you're Nick Fitzgerald, you're going to be more successful in this offense because it is, first off, you ran the triple in high school. Second, it's way closer to what made you successful under Dan Mullen. And third, if nothing else, Richard, it's going to let your defense stay even fresher and it's going to keep the ball even longer. The When you... When an when a service academy coach or an a uh, flex bone coach takes over a team in 2020, any team really, he is more than likely taking over a team that has an offense of players that has run some sort of option element in their career. This is fundamentally different than what it was in you know 1995 or or 2005 when you're kind of taking over um a, a team where that offense in high school may have been more um may have been just more conventional like you're taking over a team where at some point in time in these guys careers they probably ran some zone read stuff they know a little bit of what you're trying to bring I have to get off this soapbox because I could go for hours. If you ask me right now as we record, who do I think will be the next head coach at Mississippi State? It has been volatile it is volatile and strange in terms of the process. I think Mississippi State is understanding that when you stand naked out in the market in January and you even go up against an NFL team to try and lure an alumni, alumnus back, you don't look good for doing this. Um, I don't think they should have fired Joe Moorhead. However, I understand why they did because I understand the SEC as much as anyone can. Um, there are good coaches out there. I think they're going to try. I, I've been informed by multiple people, and I will get blown up for this, Richard. I'm going to say it anyway because I know it's true. They are going to try and match the non-football marketability, branding, and recruiting initiative of Lane Kiffin. It has changed the way that Mississippi State thinks. I know this for a fact. That's life in Mississippi because they are two crabs in a bucket. You can make fun of one and almost always make fun of the other for the exact same reason. Maybe at a different time, maybe for the inverse, but it always happens. Um, If it is Steve Sarkeesian, it's so tempting just to go back and like cover just those two teams for two years or write a book or something. It won't be me because God forbid I ever go back. But like, oh, I'm calling your wife and saying, all five moving back to Mississippi. Yeah, well, I don't know, I don't know how much longer she'd be my wife. Um, Steve Sarkeesian versus Lane Kiffin, it's, it, it's dizzying. By the way, so is, Holly Anderson pointed this out, so is the idea of emotional blitzer Todd Grantham going against Lane Kiffin. Yeah, oh my boy, God. howdy. I, I, somebody asked me uh, earlier this week, you know, are you afraid of Grantham leaving Florida? No. I, I think Grantham did a good job this God, year. No. I think Grantham um, Grantham adapted away from that kind of third and Grantham emotional blitzing this season. Um, 
Todd Grantham is head coach of Mississippi State. I I I don't know about that one. Hashtag SPAP, and we're going to jump over to Baylor for a second. How does uh, Patrick, uh, I think it's Burnett, how does the Baptist affiliation affect Baylor, the Baylor search or the university or candidate side? I understand that rule identified as evangelical. Is that an exception? Uh, I'd pause right there and say, no, I don't think so. Not, well, I mean, Matt yes, Rule yeah, has pastor dad on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think evangelical and Baptist have enough overlay um, in modern Protestant. Yeah, yeah. I'll leave it at that because I don't want to accidentally offend anyone here. But I mean, that's that's uh, that's kissing cousins, as I like to say. Are there candidates who won't <laughs> consider the school? I meant the faiths people. Uh, are there candidates who won't consider the school for that even before the ahem legacy issues? Well, I do think the ahem legacy issues um, have probably been bottled up in the eyes of most coaches because coaches coaches always think they can fix the problem or they don't care about the problem in the first place who knows how much of which uh you know column a or column b that is but um i don't think that the legacy issues affect the coaches decisions i do think it still affects baylor i think it affects the media i think it's i think it affects how we look at talk about and think about baylor but for purposes of this exercise no yeah because it's 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 dog years for them Remember, Mm -hmm. listen to what I am saying here. What happened at Baylor, the failures at Baylor were, I believe, four years ago now that it all kind of came to light. Um, That summer, when Jim Grobe kind of came in, our brows got fired, all that kind of stuff. That is now two head coaches, even though Jim Grobe was just a caretaker still. Mm -hmm. It's two head coaches and one AD since that. That is yeah. in kind of the, the grand scheme of college sports and, and institute. That's dog years to these right. guys who are in the trenches. I will say this just to stump for one of our peers or colleagues. Um, it was funny because I was, I was calling around and talking to people about Baylor yesterday. And then it doesn't happen often where like uh, the guys at Scoot at Football Scoop had the exact same list I had like roughly in the same order. That was a little spooky. But I think it just shows that people know exactly what's going to suit Baylor, both in terms of on and off the field. So Billy Napier, I think is, yeah, that's one that you put up there that's near the, fir- the very top. That's the first name. I literally, I texted one person yeah. and we're like Billy Napier. Um, the second one, actually, I, I believe, um, let's do this. Let's say a 2A and a 2B at Baylor, okay? Um, 2A is Blake Anderson, the head coach at Arkansas State. 2B would be the which I mean I guess is he acting interim right well there's no reason to have an interim head coach I guess at the moment um is uh is McGuire the uh the uh I think he's a current assistant he head was like coach. associate assistant deputy yeah. whatever the hell I call it sorry Joey McGuire yeah he's so he's basically the the second head coach on the team I and think it he sounds has like a he's gonna get a look yes he will get a look he has a legitimate shot at the job I don't know if he'll get the job uh, so that's one, two, a, two, b. The names, the names y'all you'll hear associated that will push and lobby for that job will be like Seth Luttrell, Larry Fedora. I don't know about them in terms of like what strength those arguments have. I mean, right off the top, you got to. I mean, those are Texas coaches, which is which matters in Texas in a way that I don't know if it matters in any other state. Um, Hugh Freeze, no, stop it. I, I, enjoy the jokes. Enjoy the jokes. Enjoy the jokes. That's fine. Like, like play it out. Make fan fiction. Have fun on Twitter. But yeah, that's it. So I also do think Mississippi State should uh, take one more pass at Billy Napier because that no was a little quick. The reported um, no from Billy Napier on Mississippi State was a little quick. 
Uh, last thing I'll point out, one thing that Bla- Baylor will likely comply with or likely have to look at internally, they won't tell us because they're a private university. I mean, here's the thing. All of the, quote, troubles or whatever bullshit title we're going to put on covering up a bunch of sexual assaults, um, the mechanism by which that cover-up occurred and then the way that those victims were threatened, none of that's really changed. Baylor can tell you it's changed, but they can't show you it's changed Remember, they won't show us. Remember, that was an oral report. Remember, right. oral Nobody's seen it so, on paper. Reporting when we on in the paper, me- when we in the media say we don't think it's changed, and Baylor says yes, it has. Our move is to say prove it, prove it, because that's how it works. And they can't. They're going to tell you that it has, and that people are gone. But there's absolutely no reason to believe that it has because of the the volume and the severity of the crime. Until it is proven beyond the shadow of a doubt, it has not been. Now, the reason I bring that back up is I don't think. They would fuck with a coach that has Title IX issues, okay? Hugh Freeze doesn't technically have Title IX issues. He just has fucking issues. How's that? Yeah, that's about it. We good? All right. Let's move on. Um, by the way, I don't really have an eye feel on the next head coach a bit. I, I really don't because I think it's it's early, and I do think they'll talk to other people in that cycle for whatever that's worth. Um, okay, two palate cleansers real fast. Let's do a an industry one. Send aliens to me, one of my favorite usernames of the SPA pin bunch. With CBS losing the SEC in 2023, do you see the Pac-12 sliding into their DMs? Or do you think CBS will drop college football? I don't know for sure that if CBS would um, jump – and work with the Pac-12, I think they should. I think they would see a significant ratings decline over time, obviously. Or immediately, they'd have to build it back over time. Sorry. Um, I don't think they'll drop college football. The reason being, Richard, is that they own and operate the CBS Sports Network that is pretty much built with the spine of college sports inventory. So I do think that they would need something to put on the flagship network to complement that as well as all the studio productions. So that's the super unsexy but practical answer. Um, yeah, I think that CBS may pivot away from college football. Um, and if they do, I think the pivot is already in line because of what they did with the UEFA Champions League rights. CBS just earned the Champions League rights to put on their OTT platform, CBS All Access, and they say that they are going to put some of it on CBS Sports Network, and I believe CBS. That makes me think that maybe CBS is open to soccer. Um, Can you very quickly do the great radio thing and look up when the Premier League rights run out for NBC? Perhaps CBS ends up making a bid for those, and now you've got something to put on Saturdays. Um, I know that that will be a lot harder for CBS to do with the Premier League specifically because NBC is now in bed with Sky. Sky, say? Say again? No, 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 I'm sorry. Um, Oh, Sky, and Sky is a very big deal in England and with the Premier League, so it will be very hard to divorce the Premier League from NBC, but I'm I'm fan-fictioning here. So right now, NBC is good through 22. I would expect them to continue and, and add either another extension on or redo the deal. Here's why. I think it's great, by the way, that they're diversifying the content on CBS Sports Network just because, I mean, it's good for any network that does that. Genuinely, if you get homogenous in your content, it's going to be dangerous for you at some point. But uh, think of it less as different sports to plug in and think of it as, okay, I'll give you a great example, Richard. Do you know why there was a college football game on Monday night that no one knew about? Because there was no Monday Night Football and there was no right. national championship game because the Superdome could right. not accommodate it. So the deal, the deal there is like you've got to fill the slot. 
And CBS, as a national network, is almost certainly not going to stand down on Saturday afternoon at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 God's time, and just say, well, Fox has college football on, or, or the Major League Baseball playoffs. NBC has a deal with Notre Dame. ABC ESPN is covered, blanketed. We're just going to, we're, we're good guys. We're solid. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So they will stay involved in the sport would be my, would be my confident prediction. And they still it's got hard. plenty of college basketball. They like, they're there in college sports. I don't think they want to abandon college sports either. Really? Yeah. Um, we could talk at length. We probably will in the off season about that. But um, yeah, I think PAC 12 would do well to do that. I think PAC 12 would also do well. Look, one of the things I've become increasingly interested in, we talked about this when Ryan was on the show is, how the networks are starting to counter program your own tendencies and and each other like big noon Saturday, or as the full cast would say, big nude did very well. Um, they took a dead time and an ignored time and made it something really cool. I think that if CBS had a clear slate and the PAC 12 wanted to get weird, they could create something unique and fun. But for whatever um, reason, CBS never wanted to put those SEC games at night. Like, they want to air Dagum 48 hours on Saturday nights instead of SEC football every week. And, like, it, is the Pac-12 going to want to put its a, a noon local time product on every week at 3.30 Eastern time on CBS? Richard, you, you, put, you bring up a good point, and I need to check the particulars of the original agreement. I'm pretty sure that there was locked-in language from the league on how many primetime games they would have. Now, keep in mind, too, there's also agreements and accordances and all that jazz with the different leagues. Who, every league holds... Am I saying this? Yes, except maybe the ACC. Every league holds deals... Nope, the SEC, too. ACC and SEC are all all solidly... No, that's not true either. Sorry, this is making great radio. Most leagues, Richard, is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> hold agreements with more than one broadcast entity. CBS has this contract with the SEC that's expiring. All the other SEC inventory is done through ESPN ABC. I'm pretty sure now the ACC is the same way, if you, unless you count the, the regional sports net deals, okay? Which they don't have anymore because of the ACC network. The, the Big 12 and the Big 10, and even the Pac-12... That all gets cut up and divvied and talked about and, and, and like negotiated with between Fox, ESPN, CBS, ABC, all that jazz. So to the original point, I think there is language in, in the existing deal about how many times they can go prime time because of the SEC's agreements with other carriage providers, specifically ABC slash ESPN. So that's why, I think. And we'll double check in the offseason because the bigger question SEC fans have, Richard, is does ABC – just take the two thirty spot. Does I think I think ABC does the league just shift more to prime time? Like all the SEC games are in prime time. No, I think ABC and ESPN is psyched because now they can play uh, games with the schedule and move stuff all over the place. I don't think I don't think there's any telling what ESPN is going to do with college football and how ESPN is going to warp and change college football um, from twenty twenty three onwards. I mean, when, when they really. When they put the final Infinity Stone on the glove in 2023, mm-hmm. and they get the SEC's exclusive rights, I, I they are gonna. I, I don't think we have any idea what they are gonna do with the television landscape of this sport. Produce disingenuous content about it. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> um, 
anyway, let's move on. Uh, we have just a few minutes left. We have a couple major topics. So I want to skip right to the meat of this, Richard. There was a tweet um, while you were working on other projects by Robert Klimko. Um, I'm just going to read it out. This is from January 7th. So that would have been Tuesday of this week. Um, Richard, explain to everybody who Eric Bieniemy is real fast. Um, Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. You all know how the Kansas City Chiefs play offense. Um, and he was the Rooney Rule box checkoff with the Panthers. And I think the Giants, if I recall correctly, I think Marvin Lewis was the Rooney Rule checkoff with the Dallas Cowboys, if I recall correctly. Uh, Robert Klimko tweets, after Eric Bieniemy snub, Joe Judge hire, coaching agent I spoke with, projects a small exodus of black assistants from NFL to college ranks. Quote, they're starting to feel like there's no future for them in the NFL. And so I like Klimko's work a lot, and I don't doubt that this happened. I know it happened. I'm, I believe in Robert Klimko's reporting. I think you know where I'm going with this. My first reaction is, y'all are going where? To get more opportunities? Well, I, I, the one thing, the one trump card I think these guys may hope they have is that they can say I coach in the NFL. I think that that's yeah. the one thing that I think gives them a, perhaps gives them an intellectual leg up dropping down, so to speak, or sideways to college. I, I think that's kind of, uh, that would be the hope there if I was one of those guys. Okay. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about before we get to our national title stuff. If I had to pick two existing assistant coaches at the FBS-ish, Power 5-ish level that I thought would be African-American head coaches in the next decade, um, two of those names, maybe the first two, I don't know, that I would think of would be Alex Atkins, formerly the offensive coordinator at Charlotte, and Chris Marr, former, uh, former Vanderbilt linebacker, longtime Vanderbilt assistant, spent this past year at Mississippi State. They both got hired by Florida State. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know Chris is a, I believe Chris was 30 under, was it 40 under 40 or 30 under 30 at AFC? I have no idea. Um, anyway, he Chris was a 40 under 40 candidate. Um, they're both sharp guys. They're both talented guys. Um, Atkins was with Willie Fritz as the run game coordinator there for a while. You guys have heard me talk about him a, a little bit. He was with Charlotte um, with Will Healy for a year as as offensive coordinator there. Um, those are two guys that are very sharp. Everybody here has heard me talk about uh, about Brennan Marion um, and and how talented of a young guy I think he is. Obviously, he is for now still at the FCS level and will need to move through the ranks. But Atkins and Marv are a lot closer right now being at Florida to state than than some other guys i find it very interesting because damn if those aren't really really good hires uh by mike norvell at florida state gonna be very interested to watch that offseason progress and when bud gets back we'll talk more about florida state i did find it a little odd not odd in a bad way just uh just interesting Plus, I, think, I just wanted to make i wanted to make the gator grad talk about it well i think alex has alex will be able to show a proof of concept which is as offensive line coach at Florida State, if it if everything goes swimmingly, he will have rebuilt a a unit of the team that has made that team fundamentally broken in the last three seasons. Like that's been the biggest issue. Two years ago, Willie's first year, they were not running out an ACC caliber offensive line. I mean, Bud will tell you that. But if Atkins, as a technician, which offensive line coaches are technicians of the highest order because of how you have to get five guys to move as one and how you deal with... A lot of people don't understand. Offensive linemen, when they get to college, it is a fundamentally difficult position to prognosticate and project because you have bigger guys... 
these guys are all growing up and maturing at different ages. But you got to figure out, hey, which guy's got baby fat that he's going to be able to lose? Which guy stopped growing? Which guy, uh, which guy can can still grow? You've got a guy that may come in at age eighteen at two hundred and sixty pounds, and 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 now he's three hundred and thirty pounds, and he's got a ton of muscle, and he grows three inches during his redshirt year. There's a lot of things that make coaching offensive line in college really really difficult mix in some of the guys from maybe texas who are, are who are in air raids air raid systems who are not coached up on the finer points of the position as they otherwise may have been if they were blocking different styles 10 15 years ago so i think alex has an interesting challenge here just intellectually in getting florida state in the right place i know alex knows how big of a challenge this is i texted with him briefly after he got the job um so, yeah, we, we talk about names to look for, and I'm excited to see what Alex can do with this team and with this staff. I've been trying to think about something to say regarding this national title game that might be even remotely unique, and I don't have much. It's going to be really good. Everyone's very talented. Very happy to see a new program in LSU in the playoff because I'm worried about this isolationism that's happening with these mega programs. But I thought about this this morning. Someone has to lose this game. There's a good radio cliche for you. However... Um, I was thinking about whichever team loses this game. This might be one of those situations in like five or 10 years. We look back and we're like, holy shit, that team didn't win a national title. Have we had that in a while? Cause I don't feel like we have where you just look top to bottom at the, both of these teams. Like imagine if Joe Burrow doesn't win a national title. I was just thinking about that. Today. That's, like, that's the one that I will think of because, because of this, because I'm confident Clemson will be able to get back here. Okay. I, I think LSU has captured lightning in a bottle so well that maybe everything is not able to align, and I'm saying maybe Dave Aranda isn't back, all that kind of stuff in future years. Um, if LSU loses this game, LSU is the team that I will look back and say, man, I can't believe that LSU team didn't win a national championship. Trevor Lawrence is yeah. coming back. Clemson's Clemson. Um, if, if Clemson whiffs, they've still got two, and we'll see in 2020. Or in September okay. of 2020. So the sense of urgency is all on one side here. Yeah, and it's just because LSU hasn't won in 10 years, 12 years. Yeah, 12 years in a very different set of circumstances. And it might be 12 years before they get back, such as life in the West. Um, is there anything that you could say, anything that you want to look for that has not been picked to death on this game? This is what also what happens with like a two and a half week interim between the playoffs and the title game. Yeah, it's funny. I I actually haven't really devoted a ton of thought to the game yet, really. Um, it, it's kind of odd. You know, I, I wrote a newsletter on Banner Society uh, for the read option from Banner Society about how Clemson runs the quarterback. Um, I want to see how Clemson's run game changes again Monday night. They've had two weeks to plan. I do not think that Trevor Lawrence will be the leading rusher for Clemson um, on on, on Monday night in that game. I, I doubt that. I think you have a tri- Travis Etienne. Use him in the way that he is best used against LSU. All right. We're going to find out. Um, I guess the only thing I'm really looking for that's it's certainly not unique is, like, they get a little pressure on Burrow. It'll be the first time in a long time. Um, that That is one thing that we'll find out, I think, pretty quick, whether or not that's going to happen. Because if it doesn't, I think LSU wins the game. So there's my expert analysis on X's and O's. Richard, I will see you next week. We will have a national champion to discuss. 
and we will stare into the inky black darkness, the terrifying reality. That's not true at all. Uh, we love the offseason. I'm more excited for the offseason than I have been for the postseason. We're going to see you in person next week. Oh my gosh, it's AFCA. We'll talk about that next week, too. I'm going to be hungover. <laughs>